Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 3-28-2021, and we're continuing with our service. We're going to continue with the thought of the week and prayer. Um, I have the thought of the week. It is for, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. That's found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Faith is the only way a sinful and lost man can receive God's gracious offer of salvation. Obviously, faith does not violate grace at all. The very nature of faith demands that you look away from self. In contrast, the law is like a mirror. When you look into the law, you see a reflection. You see your reflection. Faith is the opposite of looking to the law, and its focus is on the person of Christ. When we look away from ourselves to Christ, we see who and what he is. What we see that he is the Lord, uh, the Savior. We see he performed all the work necessary to save us. First, he lived a perfectly obedient life before the Father and earned a righteousness which no one condemned in Adam ever could. Second, he was judged for the sins of the world as found in John. 1.29, all your sins and all mine were imputed to Christ on the cross. Then he was punished by the Father, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10. And the Father is satisfied with the work of Christ on our behalf. First John chapter 2, verse 2. Faith in every sense looks away from self for its function. Faith is the word of God and trust that we are the ones who are hopelessly and helplessly lost. And Christ is the only one who is qualified to save us. Now we, now we must know that looking to Christ and understanding that he is the Savior is not faith. Faith not only looks away from self to Christ, it puts the matter of salvation squarely on Christ's shoulders. We realize that without him, we are helpless and lost. Faith trusts the important matter of soul, of your soul's salvation to Christ. So we trust our salvation to Christ. We stop trying to impress God or show him that we are somehow worthy in ourselves. We simply depend and trust and rely on what Christ did and, and do not and rely on Christ to do what he does best, save us. Uh, just want to offer a short commentary. Uh, the Bible says, in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, 
The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And additionally, in Adam, all died, and in Christ, all shall be made alive. Uh, a short commentary is Christ paid the penalty for all mankind's sins, and man, we can't, as men, we can't even pay the tip. We were hopelessly lost and dead in our trespasses and sins. Let us continue to make the most important decision, those that haven't made it, to trust in this perfect work that Christ performed on our behalf. At this time, I want to turn the service over to Dwight for prayer. Thank you very much, Fred. And I would like to offer up prayers for our families, as well as Word Truth Church and Church Worldwide, and some other things. But uh, is there any specific requests that you'd like me to add or help others be mindful of? I'd like to add uh, a prayer request for my brother, Michael Presley, who is not feeling well today. Yeah, I like to ask uh, you send special prayers out for the Ford family, for Mrs. Ford, especially who's in hospice for cancer. Okay. Anyone else? Okay. All right, let us bow our heads before the presence of our Father in heaven. Dear God, I want to thank you so much for the wonderful opportunity that we have to participate in your plan. And thank you so much for the knowledge that you have made plain to us um, through scripture. And where we know that we can know and come to rely on your word, knowing your word is true. We pray for our families and extended families that you would watch over everybody that we know and have the Holy Spirit work in them to bring us all closer to you and to be united in one spirit in, in Christ. We pray for the church worldwide that uh, persecution going on around the world and sufferings and tribulations are, are a part of this world, but maybe... Uh, the spirits of those who have put their trust in you um, come to rely on you and, and know that they are uh, foreigners in this world and sojourners uh, as we are citizens of heaven. And I pray also specifically for our church and the people on this call and the people who are affiliated with this church um, that we would continue to be humble like little children and come with an honest desire just to learn, learn about Christ and learn who we are in Christ. I pray for others who are uh, experiencing all kinds of struggles and tribulations in this world, the pandemic, um, shootings that have recently occurred, um, and even natural disasters. Um, we pray that those things would not thwart people from seeking you with diligence and, and knowing that in you is where life is. We pray for um, our brother Michael Presley um, and his health and welfare, understanding he is not feeling well at this point. I want you to, we want you to watch over everybody and, and uh, 
take care of those who are your own. Um, pray also for the Ford family experiencing um, the situation right now with, uh, with cancer in hospice. Um, and pray for comfort and, and um, for all of those involved. And may our hearts be mindful as well into what's going on. And uh, let us offer a prayer with thanksgiving and share each other's burdens. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Dwight, and thank you, Fred, for uh, those uh, taking care of those responsibilities. We, uh, we are going to get busy. It is uh, John 16, 3 and 4 today. It reads, They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. Uh, we're going to try to take it apart a little bit, understand what's being said here, and how does this add to our, our context. So, uh, in your notes, the disciples were on the cusp of their lives changing forever. If you had been witness to them hearing those words, follow me, you would have thought that that was the biggest event in their lives. What was to happen next would be larger than that moment. Not only would they continue to hear and see Jesus' words come to life, but their loyalty would be on display for all to see, including us in 2021. We can all imagine what we would have done if we were in their shoes. They made some great decisions and some not so great. Through it all, they continued to learn and the church was built. Thank you, Lord. Without their contribution, without their sacrifice, we wouldn't be here. Uh, and we know that they didn't invent the church. We know that they didn't invent the Father's plan. We know all they did was uh, be submissive to the Father's plan as it was revealed through Jesus. And thus we stand here today as those who are still in the church, who are following the path that was laid down for us. So let's dig in. So the first sentence we have is point one, they will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. First thought is always nice to be able to assign a motive to the action. Uh, in this case, it is persecution coming their way from the world and religion. So this is not the first warning we've seen. We've seen warnings in 15 as well. John chapter 15, where Jesus started with this whole thought of, hey, watch out. Uh, if the world hates you, remember, keep in mind, it hated me first. If, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own, as, as it is. You do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. So hate will bring actions. Murder, uh, persecution, uh, all kinds of 
negative actions that we would consider negative. But we are to know from chapter 15 that uh, persecution from the world should be something that we should expect. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He says, they will do such things. And what are such things in context in 16? Well, he's negative things. They will put you out of the synagogue. Uh, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. And this, uh, all of that is a part of the negative that we could experience or will experience in this world. That's what's going to happen if we live godly in Christ Jesus. And why do they do these things? Because they don't know the Father's plan. And they have not followed God. They have not followed the signs, the wonders, the miracles. So where do they end up here in religion? Persecuting those who do follow the signs, the wonders, and the miracles of God's direction. So it's nice when we see this. At least we have warning. At least we have the understanding of why the persecution is coming our way. And that, that, to me, that's helpful. Point B, not only has Jesus provided more than sufficient evidence for who he is, the disciples would also do ample miraculous signs, wonders, uh, beyond dispute as to God's direction. And we should know that. I mean, more importantly, I mean, all the religions of the world today are claiming that they are following God. I mean, they're saying there's a higher power over them that is more, he's more powerful than they are and he directs, you know, things. Whatever they, they say is uh, in deference to God. They're, no one is saying that we're more important than God. They're saying God is more important than us and this is the way he wants us to live. So all the religions of the world are talking about God, that he's... This is what he has said. This is what he wants of us. This is why I'm living my life the way I am. But God displayed the direction of not only who he is, but what he wants of us and which direction he's going. We're to, we're, we are to follow God. So he did it through miraculous signs, wonders, and miracles. And not only did Christ do them, but the disciples, the apostles who became the apostles, they did these signs, wonders, and miracles. So undeniably, we have the direction of God laid out before us. If you didn't know what that was or you didn't care, well, these are things that God did that no human being could do. It's not like God said this and then he's competing with all these other voices that are out there. There's no competition for what God has done and shown who he is as to the direction. No, no, no other God is doing miraculous signs and wonders like God has done. None. So there is no <clears throat> competing voices as far as I'm concerned. People, <clears throat> sorry, people have reduced what God has done to just, well, we don't believe we don't care what, he, what the scripture says about the miraculous signs, wonders, and miracles. They've reduced it to, well, God says this and other religions say that. It's way more than that. 
way more. We, as Paul says, and this is not in your notes, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, this is what Paul is saying. This is what he means when he says this. He says, uh, uh, verse, uh, for, verse 1 Corinthians 2, 2, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So when we think about it, the power that we are resting on when it comes to this, not philosophy, not, wow, that human being was really smart. Look at what they said. Wow, that fits me. The message that we have is based on the power of God, the Spirit's power. that They were able to perform these miraculous signs and wonders and miracles. When, when they did these signs, wonders, and miracles, people would know that that was God. That's the strength of what we're talking about. That's the strength of this new age and this new dispensation and the information that was hidden from ages past and generations and is now revealed. That's the strength of that direction, that we are standing in the very place that God wants us to be. Yeah, it doesn't matter how many people believe that. It doesn't matter that we can't go down to uh, First Church on the corner down there and they're, and they're not teaching this and they've got some other agenda. But they ought not to have another agenda. They ought to have this agenda and this is why they ought to have it. Not because we're persuasive in how we talk. Not because we got all these scriptures. But because God demonstrated that this is so. This is important for us. This is why we are here today and not somewhere else. Because we have followed in humility the signs, the wonders, and miracles, and it led us to this place. So you, that would be like you disputing that Jesus is the Christ. Well, he performed all these miraculous signs and wonders. What has the world done with that? They'll say, yeah, he was a good man. He said some good things. That's what the world says about Jesus. Yeah, he said very good things. Love love people. Love your enemies. Love that. We can use that, the world says. But when it comes to salvation and him dying for sins and the, the, him being sent by the Father, all that, it's, it's not important. He was a good man. But we have to follow the record the signs, the wonders, the miracles. That's what's important when it comes to this. So hopefully this is uh, where you have your resolve as well. Is that you have confidence in God's direction. Point C. If they did not know Jesus, this is our verse, they will do such things because they have not known me or the Father. Father or me. If they, did, if they did not know Jesus or the Father, then where were they? Who did they know? What, where, where were they getting their instruction? Because it was obvious that they weren't getting their instruction from God. Where were they getting their instruction? John 8, 43 through 45. Let's look at it. This is Jesus' estimation of things. 
John 8, 43 says, Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet, because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. So he gave, <laughs> John chapter 8 has a lot of back and forth between Christ and the Pharisees. Uh, but this part here, Christ laid it out. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, straight out told them. Can you imagine how they must have felt by hearing this? I mean, here, I mean, all the signs pointed to Jesus as the Christ. We even have Nicodemus's testimony in John 3. No one can do the things that you are doing except God is with him. It just can't be done. It's impossible for somebody to do the miraculous signs you're doing and God's not with him. And we went over the miraculous signs and we were in John 15 and Jesus says, if I had not done the works that I have done before them, then they would not be guilty. But now they have no excuse. No excuse. They have seen uh, day after day, Jesus performed miracles, healing all manner of sickness and disease. Uh, miracles, creating uh, loaves and fish and feeding nine, ten thousand people. It, it's, it's not even close that somebody could say, well, he's not the Christ and somebody else is. It was just hatred, refusal, religion that got in the way of their thinking. So, uh, listen, this was, they did not know the Father, they did not know the plan. That's why they rejected. 1 John 3, 12 is another follow-up scripture to look at that. Uh, 1 John 3, 12. Uh, not that we haven't seen these before, but here it is. Do not be like Cain. Who belong to the evil one. So again, what happened? Here's some information about Cain. He belonged to the evil one. How did he belong to the evil one? Satan. The devil. It's because uh, it says, and, and murdered his brother. So Cain, in Jesus' mind, is he goes all the way back to Abel as the first righteous martyr. And we know uh, we can talk about Abel, and he did what was righteous and so forth, and he was killed by his brother Cain. But here we have some commentary on Cain. He says, don't be like Cain, who murdered, who, who, belong, who, who belonged to the devil, the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. There it is. He was following Satan. Satan was able to uh, infiltrate Cain and use him. Right? It seemed reasonable to Cain. So Cain followed um, what Satan said. It was just like the woman who was deceived. The woman said, well, yeah, I wasn't supposed to eat the fruit. However, 
<laughs> I thought that the serpent got said that the fruit was okay, it was good, and in fact, the serpent said that eating the fruit would uh, make me wise. I could be like God himself. So the woman was deceived, and how, how was she deceived? By Satan. So Satan didn't stop there. He went after Cain as well, the first firstborn, and was able to corrupt him. And then he went after Abel too. You got to know he went after Abel. He couldn't persuade Abel because Abel followed God. And what did he do? He killed Abel. So we're seeing a pattern, and this pattern is also mentioned in uh, Matthew 23. He says, from the blood of righteous Abel to the son of Berechiah, whom you slew between the temple and the altar. That's in Matthew 23. So they did not know Jesus. They did not know the Father. And why? Because they were following Satan. They were following Satan's lead, his temptations, his alluring. Like it says, we were all, all of us, are born where Satan has some influence over us. But God comes along and gives us he balances that out and he gives us light according to the spirit trying to reach every person and then the choice is ours right the choice becomes uh, our responsibility do we follow god do we follow satan and or do we continue to follow satan because we're all born following satan to start with let's move in to our notes point d this world presents a sordid and deadly history of religious persecution. It does. This is the world we live in. And you know what? As you think about it, do you really want this world to be your home? Do you want a utopia here? Anyway, you don't. You really don't. What you want to do is serve here on the battlefield. Don't, don't try to make a home out of this. Don't... Don't try to put down foundations and roots here so that this is, this is your happiness. Your happiness is not found in this world. We're pilgrims, strangers in this world. It's temporary for us. So, um, but it's a history, history of religious persecution all the way back from Abel. I'm looking at the Acts uh, passage where Stephen Acts chapter 7, 51 through 52, where he mentions it as well. He goes through the history. And then this is what he says at the end in 51. He says, you stiff-necked people. In other words, you won't even turn aside your head because you God is, he, he turned and you refuse to turn. You're stiff-necked. You ever see somebody with one of those collars on? They can't turn their head. So... You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are uncircumcised. Another uh, analogy, uncircumcised meaning you're supposed to be Jews. You're supposed to be following God. Circumcision is a sign of the covenant, right? You agree that you're going to follow God, and yet your, your ears are uncircumcised. Another analogy, metaphor. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. So there it is right there. They always resist the Holy Spirit. And your ancestors did it. You do it. This has been a pattern, as we have seen, for all religious people in the world persecuting the people who follow God. 
Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him, right? <laughs> You've done the very things that they've done. What would you say? Just like Christ said, you are of your father, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. He abode not in the truth. And he lies and he doesn't matter. He wants to make himself look good. He wants to hold power, his position. Whatever the, the, the reasoning, they will rather have that than look at the signs, the wonders, the miracles that God has given them to direct them. Yeah, it's, it's sad when you think about it. And then Matthew uh, 23, 29 through 30, 37. We've been in Matthew quite a bit lately so you're seeing jesus's reaction to religious people matthew will start i don't know that we have to read all of this hopefully you'll you know what's in matthew by now you're familiar we'll start 29 woe to you teachers of the law and pharisees you hypocrites you build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous and you say if we had lived in the days of our ancestors we would not have taken part and with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. You snakes, you brood of vipers. How will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore I am sending you prophets and sages and teachers, and some of them you will kill and crucify others you will flog in your synagogues and, and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly, I tell you, all this will come on this generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you kill you who kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to you. How often I would have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. So this is, <clears throat> this is religion, and we should say at its worst. Really. It is at its best, because this is what religion does. This is how they behave. So we are seeing the history from the beginning of the world. And this is not to stop, because all of the disciples who became apostles for the church were persecuted. This is what we're talking about. Jesus is warning them, it will come. And then even after they left the scene in the first century, second century, I mean, they made persecuting Christians a sport. This has been something that they thought, hey, this is interesting. Let's throw a family of Christians into the ring and let tigers and wild animals tear them to shreds. What a terrible thing. But yet, this is what happened with persecuting those who were... Um, following God. So, interestingly, um, this is point E. Point E says, beware of those who, and this is a quote, 
on the outside, uh, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Yeah, that's again, Matthew 23, 28. But when you think about it, 2 Timothy um, 3, 1 through 7, which we talked about earlier a little bit, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to pa their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. And he's giving some, some more characteristics about him, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. So this is religious people. This is how, and what do they do? They don't have power. They have a form of godliness, just like we saw the Pharisees, where Jesus said what was really inside of them, all of those things. Uh, and what power were they denying? That's the power of God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit is running things down here. He wants, Since Pentecost, it is God the Holy Spirit who is ruling and setting the proper course and direction for the church. God the Holy Spirit. Uh, and it goes on in verse 7, always learning these people but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. So the knowledge of the truth is what the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. And sure enough, he is the one who has the power, the direction and knowledge and the wisdom, the love. All of that is shed abroad in our hearts through God, the Holy Spirit. These people do not have it. Be careful. And we know, uh, we talked about the Inquisitions, Last week, how they persecuted the Protestants as they uh, departed from Catholicism. Uh, we, we continue to talk about persecution to this day, where people uh, turn a blind eye to what God has done in the mystery and how he was revealed through dispensations, this new age that God is now calling out these many sons in the glory. And these sons are not... Israel. They are not related to this world. Uh, they are something brand new created. And rather than learning about it, you know, digging in and experiencing the, the, the glories of this age, people would rather go back to Israel and uh, look at what Israel had and what they did. And you, this is a testament to persecution today where you go to other churches and and Open your Bible to Ezekiel. Open your Bible to Exodus. Open your Bible to Daniel. Uh, you know, because they all they want to do is focus on the previous revelation and ignore what God has for the church. And people who are looking at the dispensational point of view are, are persecuted. Oh, that's false doctrine. And it's this, it's that. So this is... This is the world we live in. And the religious people today are, in some ways, persecuting those who um, would follow God. 
same thing. So don't think Protestants, because they were persecuted, don't think they didn't persecute. Sure they did. Sure Protestants persecuted people. They're the ones who talked about uh, uh, persecuting people from the standpoint of if they didn't follow Protestantism, <laughs> they were persecuted. It is the same scenario all the way down the road. And it will continue that way in the tribulation when the church leaves. Uh, you, you, again, you will have religious persecution at epic levels. Let's continue. We, we got to move on. So point number two, it says in our text, I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. A few points about that. Uh, when their time comes, that means when the time comes, when you guys are on the hot seat here, you're going to be persecuted. The world will hate you. Uh, religious people, the, the, the world you lived in, from you came from Israel, they will hate you. And I say this confirms, it's confirmed that we must see this discourse. Jesus' last words to these disciples as instructions for the church. And pay close attention to his parting words, for he is speaking directly to us. Think about that. We, if you wanted to know, I mean, you could go back and look at uh, those Gentiles and 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 pre Israel, pre patriarchs. You could talk about pre flood, and you could talk about Israel and their time and Mosaic law. And you said, man, this is God is working with His people, doing all these miraculous signs and wonders. And look at how He freed Israel from. Pharaoh, and on and on. But what about us? What scriptures directly apply to us? Now you have it right here in the church age. It's going to be persecution. It's going to be this new message that never was seen, wasn't revealed in the previous uh, uh, revelation to Israel. And now we have it. This information directly bears on us. So you know what? If you were sitting back, now's the time to pull up that chair, get get on the edge of the seat, because now the information for us is right here, right now. Now it's time. This is this is about you. This is about us. So now it's time to really focus your attention on what is being said. As I say, this, these are Christ's parting words, and now. He's speaking to us. Uh, we don't want to talk about, well, this was the, uh, Noah and the flood. This was uh, Israel or Abraham. Or, no, this is us right now. And it's appropriate information. So point B, this would not have been a good time for the disciples to be sleeping through Bible class. <laughs> and, you know, the disciples had their problems. <laughs> don't get me wrong. They were human. And they had in their heart the things of men, and on and on. You could go and talk about the things that the disciples had, the problems. But here is not a time for them to be sleeping. And you know, it's interesting as I, I, I didn't put this in the notes, but as I think about what happened when they got to the Garden of Gethsemane, they just could not stay awake. I mean, here, here Christ had just given them 
this discourse, which was so important. I mean, they needed to be taking notes. I mean, they should have had their their pens and paper out, their notepads, taking notes on everything Christ said. He told them, remember this, I'm telling you now, I'm warning you because when it happens, and here these disciples were sleeping. Because not long after the discourse where he prays to the Father, he says, come now, let us go. And then where do they go? Right to the Garden of Gethsemane. It just shows you the, 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 the tenor, the mood that they were in. They were tired. And what did they do? They went to sleep. Christ says, man, couldn't, you couldn't even watch with me for an hour? You sleeping? It finally says, go on, go back to sleep. And the betrayer comes and they wake. It's not that they were so ready and on guard. No, the betrayer comes, Judas with the soldiers, and they wake up. They're like, oh my gosh, well, let me wake up. What's going on? They were caught off guard is what it was. They were not on the same wavelength as Christ, as Christ was. So that's sad. We need to be on guard. We need to take these instructions because these are our instructions as well. We need to be on guard because uh, people are going to bring persecution. Why? We know why. Because they don't know the Father's plan. That's exactly what's happening today. So it, it happened. Pay close attention. Point B, this would not have been the time for the disciples sleeping. And sure enough, they were sleeping. Matthew 15, let's look at the scriptures that are there, uh, 15, uh, 15 through 20. Let's look at that. So, so uh, 15, 15, <coughs> 15, Peter said, explain the parable to us. And this is after Jesus says, leave them, they are blind guides. <coughs> If the blind lead the blind, both fall into the to the pit. So Peter said, explain this parable to us. And this is what Jesus said to them in verse 16. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Wow. I could, I'd have to just pause here to just listen to what he said. He rebuked them. And he says, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then <clears throat> out of the body? You understand the, biolo the, the biology of the body? But the things that come out of the person's mouth come from the heart. And these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. So, but what caught me here was, are you still so dull? Why is he saying this? Because what they were thinking in their hearts was the doctrines that the Pharisees had. The, the religious doctrines that were in their hearts. And they were, Jesus characterized that as dull. And they weren't dull in the sense that they were, uh, these disciples uh, weren't smart or, or witty. 
they were dull from the from religion. Religion is what dulled them to Christ's teaching. Christ did not have religion in in his thinking. He had the Father's plan. So trying to help the disciples separate who Christ was and what he was teaching from the religious thinking that they had from the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, was tough. It wasn't easy. There was friction here. Christ had to rebuke them. And that's what happened. That's, that's what we, we have in our text here, right here. And then there's Mark 9, 30 through 32. Um, Mark 9, 30 through 32. They left the place and passed through Galilee, and Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they, look at the, the commentary, but they did not understand what he meant, and were afraid to ask him about it. See, see, so this is teaching that they were hearing, but they didn't understand it. But they were afraid because in their hearts, it was something completely opposite. They, they didn't think the Messiah would uh, be killed uh, and delivered into the hands of men. And after three days, he would rise. They had no, they'd, that's not in our theology but they were afraid to ask him. Interesting. So they here they were caught in the middle of uh, the religious thinking that they had and Jesus telling them new doctrines, new. So finally in Matthew, what we learn is when Jesus was telling them uh, this, Peter rebuked Christ. He said, wait a minute. I'm going to tell you now that this shall never happen to you. So stop talking about you going to, uh, the, you know, Jerusalem, you getting killed and die. Stop talking like that. That's never going to happen to you. Well, we're sure glad that Peter was wrong because our salvation would have never been realized. Because Christ going to the cross and dying is part of what we now understand as the cross. And how glorious it is. How we glory in the cross. Because that's where our sins were imputed to Christ and judged. But, but as far as Peter and the disciples were concerned, uh, it was information that was not in their theology. And so they thought about it. When Jesus said this stuff, I can imagine they said, hmm, yeah, we ain't going to say nothing, but uh, he's wrong. That's what they were saying in their hearts. He's wrong. Now you see where the disciples were and why Jesus says, you believe in God, believe also in me. Yeah, that's what was happening there. So, um, so, so we have those two verses, um, but they needed to really pay attention to Christ, especially as he was preparing them for his departure. They needed to really listen up. And that's what we're going to find later in John, uh, John chapter 16 that they did. They did listen up. But don't think it happened automatically. They had to take some time. So point C, 
he warned them, I have told you this, that when the time comes, when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. So this whole phrase, warned you about them, it's nice to have the warning. But better when the persecution comes and you remember the words of Jesus. And John 14, we have a very similar phrase, 25 and 26 here. Let's look at it. John 14, 25 and 26 say, All this I have spoken while still with you. Same thing, while still with you. And we're going to dig into that uh, next. That's the next phrase. But he says, I have spoken to this while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit has a, a job, not only to, to remind the disciples of what they should have known when Jesus told them and they weren't paying attention and they were sleeping or not listening in Bible class, but he will also teach them all things. He will grab them by the seat of their pants, take them where they need to be, and lead them into all things when the Holy Spirit comes. That's the age that we're in right now. That's the age where we need to pay close attention to, so that because there is no foundation where we can go back to Israel and say, well, this is how we should function. Because this is how Israel functioned. And that's when they were in the world. And, and that's how we should live in the church. Wrong. Terribly wrong. We are not of this world. And how we function in the world that is not our home, and we are not of it, has to be defined for us. And that's what the Holy Spirit will do. He will lead and guide us into all truth. So we don't get our precedence from what Israel did. Yeah, Israel performed a certain way in this world. Doesn't mean that's how we perform in this world. We got to listen to the voice and the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's how it is. We are no longer, and once we're in Christ, we're not Jew or Gentile. We can't even think about it that way anymore. Not slave or free, not, you know, uh, no social distinctions, no racial distinctions. None of those things control how we function in Christ or who we are in Christ. So we have a lot to learn, don't we? Humility is very important. We got to listen to God. We got to hear from him as to the direction of the church. If, if we left it to what Jewish thinking was or what Gentile thinking was, there would be no church today. It would not exist. It would, be, it would have been destroyed. So there's much more to tell us, more than we can now understand. That's what the disciples heard. We'll get to that verse in John 16 at some point. But right now, this is where we are. Right? I've told you this so that when the time comes, you, you know I warned you about them. Right? So let's look at this last phrase. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. 
So we said we were going to look at that one phrase. I, all the, I'm telling you this now while I'm with you. So, uh, while, so a quote from John 17 says, While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. So that's John 17 and 12. There's more in John 17 as well, if you look at it, where Jesus talks about how he was with them. He protected them and, and how he has lost none of them. If you look at verse 13, I am coming to you now. This is 17:13. I am coming to you now. But I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy uh, in them. Now, that full measure of the joy is also a part of them uh, persecu being persecuted, but enduring it because they know that they are in the will of God. So it's one thing when you're suffering and the suffering produces this, you know, pain and displeasure. But when we suffer, knowing that we're walking in the Father's plan, that we know that we're walking in the will of God for our lives, that's when we can have this joy. That's when Christ had it as well. For the joy set before him, he despised the cross, the shame, endured the cross, and, and so forth. So because he knew he was walking in the Father's plan, doing what the Father wanted him to do. And he was able to have that joy. We can have it as well, even though we know we're in the world and we're being persecuted. So back to our notes here, uh, that's what Christ is saying here, that he protects us. We have protection. <laughs> Think about it that way. God is the one who is watching over us. He protects us. So in Matthew, uh, so so then there's uh, John 13. Since we're in John, skip over to 13. It's a couple points to be made as a result that we know we're being protected, and Christ was our protection. But now he was praying that we he, we would still have protection in the world. So John 13, 36 and 37. Simon Peter asked him. Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. So he kind of got the idea that Jesus was talking about leaving here in death. So he's like, well, you're going away and, um, and you're going to have to die. And he had said many times that he would who's going to die. So Peter, putting two and two together, he's like, I will, I will lay down my life for you. In other words, you don't have to worry about dying because I will fight for you. Don't worry about it. So Jesus understood exactly what he was saying in verse 38. He says, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. This is the humbling of Peter. Uh, that we are seeing here. But um, notice, Peter is thinking, don't worry, Christ. Don't worry, Jesus. I'll protect you. I have a sword. You don't have to worry about losing your life. I, I, I'm, I'm going to fight for you. Don't you worry about that. 
And that's interesting to me that, uh, notice, we have divine protection, and yet uh, Peter is thinking that he would protect Christ. Matthew 26, 51 through 54. Matthew 26, let's look at that. 51 through 54 says, With that, one of Jesus, and this is at the time, they're in the garden of Gethsemane, and Judas comes with a detachment of temple guards, and he kisses Jesus, and uh, you know you know the story. So 2651 says, with that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it, and cut, uh, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Now we know who this was. It was Peter, and we know it, the servant was Malchus. We know this from other gospels, other witnesses. So, so then this is what Jesus said. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Now, stop for a minute. So we are thinking that, uh, you know, as you look at this, Peter is going to defend Christ, stop him from being arrested, and he pulls out his sword and he whacks off Malchus's ear, and Jesus heals him is what we learn in another gospel as well. And uh, But notice, Peter's carrying, he's following through on what his protection, his his divine protection was. He was going to protect God on the earth. It's just like when they were in the boat and the wind and the waves were just whipping and uh, they were about to perish. And that's what they said. They said, don't you care that we're getting ready to die? They didn't think, well, you know, we maybe we can survive this. They just already figured that they were going to die. And they were just looking at Jesus, sleeping. And they said, don't you care that we're about to perish? And Jesus gets up, rebukes the wind and the waves, and calm comes over the, the sea. I mean, imagine that. And, and then they said, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. What, what, what do we have here? So Jesus is saying here in our text here, don't you know that I can call 12 leads? The Father, all I got to do is say the word. And 12 legion. you know, I looked up, what is a legion? And there's a lot of controversy about how much a legion was. And they said it was about, one, one source said, oh, it's like about 6,800 men. One legion, and that contains uh, cavalry uh, men who are on horseback, and then there's infantry men. There's probably like six thousand of those, and eight hundred uh, of people on horseback. Uh, and then other sources said, "Oh no, a legion is like uh, three thousand men to somewhere between three thousand and six thousand men is one legion." And Christ said he could call 12 legions of angels, if he wanted to. So the point was, to 12 legions, I mean, that's like, if we were to say 6,000, 
That's like 7,000 people, men. But, and we're not talking about men. We're talking about angels. One angel in the Old Testament killed 186,000 people. One angel. And he's saying he can call 12 legions of angels. 7,000. Really, it's not about how many in the number here. That's not the point. The point is that God fully is protecting Christ. It is the will of God that he go to the cross and die for the sins of the world. It's not the will of God that he be protected by Peter's sword. He could call 12. This is what Christ said. Let me read it again. Let's just put it in context. Verse 53. Do you think... Do you think I cannot call on my father, Peter? Don't you know, you, don't you realize that I'm not being protected by you, Peter? You are being protected by us, God. He says, and that he will at once, if that was the will of God, put at my disposal, at my disposal, at my command, more than 12 legions of angels. But how then would the scripture be fulfilled that say uh, it must happen this way? Am I leading rebellion that you have come out with swords? This is what Christ says to, the, to those who are coming after him. That you are coming out with swords and clubs to capture me? They had sticks and clubs and swords and anything they could find. This, this is grab. Let's get him. Come on. He's been going around doing good. That's all he did. Is He says, every day I said, I was in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me. So now all of a sudden I'm some criminal that you need to come with staves and clubs and swords and, and whatever you could find. So anyway, yes, Christ could have called all those angels. There's nothing they could have done to Christ unless the Father had allowed it. So that's what we have to keep in mind while we are in this world. That's what we need to know. Point B, the disciples had divine protection, even though they didn't realize it, and so do we. We have that same kind of protection. Second Thessalonians, let's look at Second uh, Thessalonians 3, 1 through... It says, 2 Thessalonians 3, 1, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it is with you. Isn't that our prayer too? Exactly. That's our prayer. We want it to spread and it be honored that people respect the message and they hear God. That's exactly what we want. And verse 2, and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people. Uh, for not everyone has faith, but we're in the world after all. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord uh, that you are doing and will continue to do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts in God's love and Christ's perseverance. So we have 
information here that tells us that the Lord is faithful. He will protect us. But we should know, just like with Jesus, Jesus had to go to the cross. It was the Father's will. And it and for in terms of our situation in the world, we're not to walk around in fear and worry. Because we gotta know that we are being protected by God here. We're not just here. And what happens to us here is under divine protection. God is watching over us. I'm going to give you an example of Old Testament protection as well. Look at Job. Job, that's way back in Old Testament. Probably a lot of you don't know where Job is. I'm going to count the books so you can learn how to get to Job. Just go to the front of your Bible, go to Genesis, and then there's Exodus. I'm just kidding. You know, we used to have a table of contents when we were actually physically meeting and we had Bibles in the church, and we would say, look, just go to page 237. And that way we could direct people they didn't, if they didn't know what books of the Bible were and where they were. But anyway, the book of Job, chapter 1, and let's look at verse 7. All right, let's, let's just see what it says here. So it says, the Lord said to Satan... This is when the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. Hopefully you know the story. I don't have to give you the full context. But so, so the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord. Uh, from roaming through, throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. In other words, I'm, I'm, this is my domain. I'm, I'm ruling. What are you doing? What are you talking about? I'm ruling the earth. Verse 8. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God, fears God, respects God, and shuns evil, listens to what God says. So, does And then Satan says, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed his, the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now, stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. So then the Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your power. But now, the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So Satan could have said, Well, no, no, I'm going to need to be able to touch his body too. But he didn't do that. He's left. He's like, that's enough. All you had to do was remove that hedge that you had around him. I can get to him now. I will show you what Job is really made of. You think he's serving you, but really, he's only serving you for the good stuff that you provide for him. That's Job has ulterior motives. That's what he was saying. And But notice in this, Job had divine protection. And that's what uh, is important for us to know. If Job had divine protection, you have divine protection for sure. Anybody who serves in this world has this protection. But it doesn't mean that you won't be persecuted. It doesn't mean that there won't be trouble. 
Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. It doesn't mean that the world won't hate you and that they won't throw you out of the synagogue, that they won't persecute you and confiscate your property and throw you in prison. And I could go on and on about what might happen in this world. But just know that whatever happens, God allows it to happen. It is not something that we have come up with and and, and we have to worry because we're keeping ourselves safe in this world. God is protecting us. So verse two, chapter 2, verse 6, Job comes back after he fails. And uh, he says this. And the Lord said to Satan, very well then, he is in your hands, you must, but you must, not, you must spare his life. So, so Satan was able to touch Job, his body, but... Uh, he was not able to take Job's life. God would not allow Job's life to be taken. It is up to God. And so, now notice, this was a test that is for us to see. We're reading about it in 2021. But notice that God has control, not only of our lives, not only what happens to us in our lives, but our, even our physical health is in God's control. So just know the extent of the divine protection that we have in this world. That's important for us to know. So point C is we have to learn lessons, just like the disciples did. We have, but we have divine protection, but that does not mean we will have our way while in this world. God's will is our way. That's what we should learn that that's what our way should be. It's God's will, whatever it is for our lives. So Job one twenty one. since we're in Job, we'll finish this thought. This is what Job said. It's naked, this is what he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. So, you know, for Job to say this, there's... There's that he need he needed to understand some things before he could get to the place where he said this. And what this tells me is that Job understood that suffering in this world may have been God's will for him. <clears throat> He's willing to take that suffering. And guess what he says? May the name of the Lord be praised. Blessed is the name of the Lord. That's what we have to learn. So there's a lot of scriptures. I'm going to skip some of these. I'm going to, you read the one in Psalm 36 where God, well, we have blessed uh, thanks to God. But I'm going to go to Ephesians 5.20 for the sake of time. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 20 says, Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's, here it is. That's, to me, important. That's the attitude that we have. Whatever comes to us in this world, whatever happens to us, or God allows to happen to us, we ought to give thanks. Just like Job. Just the thought that, hey, I'm here to serve, and God, your will is more important. I don't know the way. You know the way. That's the thought. And then Philippians 4 and 6. We're closing soon. Philippians 4. And 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, being anxious is, is anxiety, fear, worry. 
But in every situation, whatever happens, whatever circumstance you find yourselves, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Just talk to God. Tell him about it. Tell him about why you're worried. Tell him why you fear. And every situation, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your requests to God. There it is. And then there's 1 Thessalonians 5.18. I'll read that. 518. There's a lot of uh, uh, things that we could learn from here. Uh, I'll start at 516. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. There it is. Don't take anything away from me that's supposed to come to me in this life. Just like Christ said, Peter, put away your sword. This is the will of God for me. And this is what we are experiencing. This is what the lessons that we have to learn as well. 1 Peter 4 and 19 is our closing verse. 1 Peter 4 and 19. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So there it is. We're in this world. Doesn't mean just because you, you you think you've dotted all your I's and crossed all your T's that you followed all your commands that you think you know. It doesn't matter. God may have suffering in your path that you need to undergo, and the attitude is not bitterness, not resentment, not oh man, I'm going to get back at them. I'm going to pay evil for evil. No, the attitude is thanksgiving and everything. Give thanks to God that we're here. And we're able to serve in this world. And we ought to serve wholeheartedly, giving ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father. We are so privileged, not only that you called us, but that you allow us to serve you in this world. Come what may, Father. Whatever your will is, we are willing to do it. We want to do it. And we honor you by the respect of the plan and our participation in it. All of this we ask in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.